thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 154 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and was recorded on Friday, February 3rd, and made available for download Tuesday, February 7th, over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Ostron. I'm Jeff. And I'm Ken Shadow. And taking a break from hosting to sit in the booth is our pal Henry. So, what do we have this week, Ken Shadow? In this week's Quark Box, we'll give you a recipe for the most explodious metal ever. Kids, don't try this at home. On the flight deck, we see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we cover environments and music for Star Citizen, and a rundown of more details on Elite Dangerous's upcoming multi-crew patch, aka The Commanders. Next, we debate tutorials versus social knowledge, and finally, we turn to the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypter, crypter, crypter. This is Jeff saying welcome to the squawk box, everyone. So, the simple version of the news is, scientists have figured out how to make metallic hydrogen and that it would be awesome as a rocket fuel because it's exceeding lighter than the current rocket fuels, which usually take hydrogen and mix it with heavier elements like nitrogen. Well, there's more to this story. And here are the complex details. First of all, some of you are probably scratching your heads over the term metallic. Hydrogen is a gas, after all. And while you can make it a solid at minus 435.5 degrees Fahrenheit, that's minus 259 milliquatloos in metric, it's just frozen gas. In science, something officially becomes metallic when it conducts a finite amount of electricity, even as you cool it towards the lowest possible temperature, absolute zero. Hydrogen just doesn't do that normally. So for those of you that want to try this home, and I don't really recommend it, here's what you do to get metallic hydrogen. Get some hydrogen, read or watch The Martian for an idea how to accomplish this, manufacture some diamond anvils that have absolutely no molecular flaws whatsoever, coat the diamonds in alumina, the material that primarily makes up sapphires, so that the hydrogen atoms don't break into the diamonds. Now, as you're cooking, bring down the temperature to minus 452 degrees Fahrenheit, that's minus 269 metric. We suggest using liquid helium. Now, use the diamond anvils to apply 25 gigapascals of pressure. For comparisons, that's 246,000 times atmospheric pressure, or more than you can get at Earth's core. Congratulations, you've produced metallic hydrogen. So, what can you do with this recipe that you've created and all that wonderful hydrogen you've produced? Well, scientists aren't sure, because they haven't unwound the vice, so to speak. They don't know if the metallic hydrogen will be stable once the pressure is removed. If it is, though, it's got a bunch of theoretical applications. It could serve as a room temperature superconductor. Most of the ones we have need to be really cold. 
meaning maglev trains and non-supercooled MRI machines would be easier to make. Also, there is the aforementioned rocket fuel substitute. They'll let us know, assuming the stuff doesn't instantly explode once the pressure is off. Well, just the science behind it was just mind-boggling. I love the quote in the article where they, they look at it for the first time and they go, oh, we know it's metallic hydrogen because it's shiny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those things where you go, okay, really? Shiny? That's that's the scientific <laughs> well, definition. You don't, we're going yeah, with. you don't have a better method than that? <laughs> well, I guess, you know them damn scientists, they have to come up with something technical. Shiny. But... What I really found interesting is because they're doing hydrogen. And what is the most common element in the universe? I I mean, this is like building block 101. And so if you could take this and build a process, if this is actual, I mean, if they release the pressure and it doesn't just have a mini nuke in your backyard, space travel would be changed. Because now you have a rocket fuel that you can not worry about payload. Well, you worry about it, but, I mean, you worry less about it. Yeah, but, you, I mean, this can't be cheaper than producing hydrazine. Because the amount, I mean, theoretically, the diamond anvils are reusable. Although parts of the article even said that they're not sure the diamonds would survive that much pressure for very long. But... Getting that amount of pressure and getting everything that cold, I just don't know how well this whole process scales. And they already said that they haven't found anything else that can handle the pressure except for these ultra-pure, flawless, artificial diamonds. I'm a little unsure exactly how this whole um, metallic hydrogen works in the rocket fuel, though. Um, are they concer- Are they talking actually about burning it or is this more like a fuel cell or are we talking about pure propellant it's pure propellant because the amount of energy that's required to get the helium to go metallic sort of gets stored as potential energy so when it transitions from this metallic hydrogen back into the normal gaseous hydrogen it releases all of the energy that was required to put it into the metallic state in the first place minus whatever you lose to heat and entropy but if it's but, if but they're they're banking on it being stable at room temperature so how do they get it to release back and do release that potential energy or again are they exposing it to electricity or, or what, what is the, the catalyst here well that would be the next test they have to do first they have to figure out if they take off the pressure, does it stay as metallic hydrogen or does it just immediately switch back to gaseous hydrogen, which would mean small explosion, because I assume they're not doing this with a tremendous amount of hydrogen atoms at this point. If it does stay stable, it probably wouldn't take a lot. I mean, because there are varying levels of stable. There's like diamond stable and then there's nitroglycerin stable. I'm really curious as to what the next stage would be with this theoretical molecule. Because they're not actually, I mean, they didn't quite know if this would work, right? So even the, the structure is probably a bit of a mystery at this point, right? Yeah, well, the whole the whole idea of metallic hydrogen was 100% theory until this happened. Because, I mean, like they said, you can't even get the pressure you need to make this stuff at the Earth's core, much less anywhere on the Earth's surface. So the only place this might be found in nature is like down in the middle of Jupiter or Saturn or some other planet that's producing a ridiculous amount of pressure near its core. Well, it can't it can't be too stable then or we would have seen we would have seen it, right? We have all sorts of elements that were produced in the furnaces of stars, so to say, on our on our planet's surface. 
but the problem there is that you know you'd need the pure hydrogen and if the planet cores aren't exactly filtering out all the other stuff so a lot of this is guessing just because up until now it's been 100 percent theoretical i mean even the rocket fuel is sort of theoretical because they're going well look if it if you've got this metallic hydrogen and then you can get it to release all its potential energy we've got rocket fuel that's like tens of times lighter than the stuff we have now but nobody knows how to do that yet because like you said nobody knows exactly how it's structured or what's required to release all this energy mm-hmm. i'm hoping to hear more about it i i don't want to dismiss everything because simply because we don't understand all the applications oh, no, they're pro they're probably going to be studying this for a good couple of years at least. Oh, yeah. Regard- regardless of whether it stays stable. I mean, they're probably leaving it under the pressure for just that purpose. They want to study the, the structure of the solid before they release the pressure, probably to get an idea of whether they think it can survive once the pressure's released. Read, seen, or heard something that you might find interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, trigger screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for February 3rd, 2017. $142.4 million, up about 292000 1.733 million registered accounts, up about 4,100. 1.207 million ships in the UB fleet, up about 3,000. This week, there was much less news coming out of CIG, which makes sense given the relative avalanche we've had recently. Around the Versus news from the Frankfurt studio did have a few noteworthy bits. They've been focusing a lot on the weapons, including a detailed survey of personal weapon damage. Specifically, they discovered that some weapons were not doing damage appropriately at all ranges and against all body parts. That was corrected with the release of 2.6. The environment team is also flexing their virtual muscles with procedural generation and particles. Everything generally looks nicer, but there's also more activity in environments where appropriate. For example, trees can now drop leaves and snowy environments will actually have falling snow. The rest of ATV was concerned with the music of Squadron 42 and Star Citizen, specifically interviewing several members of the audio team. A lot of time is taken up with their individual backstories and history, so check that out if you're curious about where SIG is getting its talent. In terms of the game, they mentioned that they are trying to make the music as procedural as the planetary environments. They didn't want songs cutting off mid-melody after you kill the last enemy. Instead, they have a large number of shorter musical samples that are designed to flow together. The hope is that they will create an even flow to the music throughout and give a more unique audio experience even if the players are in the game for many hours. So I thought the idea of what they're trying to do here is neat. I just don't know... It's not actually unique. No, it's, it's not completely unique. I mean, I remember this being pioneered by Bungie way back in the day for Halo 1, actually. And uh, I know um, they've kind of perfected it as they went along. So this is kind of a, a staple in some regards for at least AAA music and games where they try and do music blending and have the music go up and down with the, um, the fights and uh, try not to um, abruptly change and, and blend from one song to the next. Well, I've been recently delved back into Fallout 4 because I 
uh, saw some new mods I wanted to try, and uh, I noticed the background the, the background music does exactly the same thing. It, it changes and uh, upbeats when you're in combat, and then it goes back to this nice uh, background noise that you almost are unperceptive of. And then, if you want, you can turn on the radio. This all just kind of proves SIG is, is, is at least acting like a Class A, AAA game, you know, and, and putting these high-end audio elements in, in where they should be anyway. What I'm hoping here is that we'll get functioning radio. I mean, that, that or comms, where we get radio stations and, and all that other stuff. This is what I'm hoping for the, from the audio team. I, I, I'll just, if I want space music, I'll go out to the web and I'll grab some trippy trans uh this is more squadron 42 i think they were talking about in the episode i don't think this is an area where you would normally put a radio in the P- station in the pu yeah, yeah. I pro- you're probably correct this this sounded like it was more very story specific you know and it's probably going to be uh you know militaristic and, and 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 the things you get from military flight movies and then with a sci-fi overtone it's kind of the stuff we've already seen you're right because i don't want my i squadron 42 i don't mind playing like a movie but my pu experience i don't want to play like a movie i mean there was a mention in there that they're trying to keep in mind that players will be playing for multiple dozens of hours which sounds more like the pu than squadron 42 but i don't know you're right i think a lot of it was geared toward Uh, Well, the composer that they featured is the Squadron 42 music composer. The Star Citizen PU music composer composer is Pedro Camacho, which has been on on other episodes. So at least I think this focus was was there. Now, the music in the PU, I'm sure, is going to be great, though, because all of Pedro's music has been really good. Um, They may be using the same blending tech there. But like you said, Jeff, I expect more people to be a little more freely turning that off and on given the number of hours they'll spend in there the shooting range that they showed in the episode um that they were doing weapon weapon balancing on uh, made me think of the old shooting range that we used to have in our hangars and made me kind of long for that old vandal shooting range yeah although i could never i always was annoyed at the fact that you didn't have a targeting reticle of any kind our Star Citizen community question. Do you like what you heard in Star Citizen's music, or were you hoping for a different sound? You can get in touch with us in all our usual channels. Full details coming up in the feedback loop. A substantial dev update this week takes a closer look at Elite Dangerous Horizons, the Commander's 2.3-1.8, focusing mostly on the new multi-crew feature. While what crew seats will be available on various ships is yet unknown, commanders will be able to directly invite friends to join them or adjust access permissions so other commanders looking to crew can jump in. Crew players will instantly transfer to the multi-crew ship regardless of distance, potentially a huge quality of life improvement for our deep space explorers, allowing them to still join up with friends back in the bubble from time to time. It's meant to be a drop-in, drop-out experience, and when finished, the crew commander just pops back to his original location. Three roles have been defined so far. The helm is always the ship owner, who pilots the ship and controls all weapons except turrets, as well as issuing orders to AI pilots. The helm can still navigate, control the power distributor, and perform synthesis. The gunner controls all turrets with a new third-person interface which gives them the reticle that any turret will be able to follow. 
if it can depress that far. They also can set up fire buttons to activate things like warrant scanner or missile launcher in any direction, giving this role an advantage over the solo pilot's equivalent gear. The fighter con can take off in a ship launch fighter, even if an NPC fighter is already out and about, allowing two active fighters at once. Alternatively, both crew members can take out fighters in lieu of one of them taking the gunner role. The update noted that it was possible if the ship has enough fighters, which is somewhat unclear. Is a second bay necessary to use the fighter con role at all while the NPC fighter is out, or only if two players want to take out the fighter con? While the helm controls the ship's power distribution, each extra crew member adds another pip that the player can assign, acting as an overall boost to the ship. These enhancements should make a ship with crew substantially more effective than the same ship flown solo, with two fewer pips to assign, only one fighter launched, and more limited use of advanced scanners and some weaponry. Time will tell whether this is sufficient to offset the value of having those crew members simply wing up using their own ships. Finally, crew and ship owner will share both the benefits and punishments while together on board ship. All bounties and vouchers received by the helmsman are duplicated for each crewmate. But so are the crimes. Interestingly, a crew member leaving his ship will have the option of purging their criminal record, but at the cost of losing all accumulated rewards as well. It was mentioned that ship rebuy premiums are also reduced for each crew member, but exactly what is meant by that is unclear. Will crew members face a rebuy just reduced from the ship owners, or will having crew members reduce the ship owner's rebuy? I, I like I like the direction this is going for Elite. I think that it's a good step. I, I want to see balance. I'm concerned about balancing this out, though. I, I, I see large numbers of gank squads teaming up and going after solo players and whatnot. And But then again, since we don't play on open anyway, what does it matter, right? <laughs> Well, plus, I don't know that it would necessarily make that worse because there's, I mean, you can get, you know, five guys with two of them in one person's ship and two others flying their own or five people who just bring their own ships. It's whether that's a worse or better situation largely depends on what ships they're using and whether, like they said, the multi-crew ships end up having enough of an advantage over the single crewed ones that it makes a difference. I would assume that their goal would be not to necessarily make the multi-crew option much more powerful. I think they want to leverage the fact that this allows sort of instantaneous cross-galaxy teleportation for the players who are crewing. This would make it easier for friends to group up sort of at random without planning in advance for it. Right. And, and I like that aspect. The, the one thing they didn't mention that I'm really curious about is they mentioned the fighter bay, but they didn't mention the SRB. Imagine if you're out scouting for alien artifacts, you had someone on the ground and someone overhead scanning the surface and heck, you could even rotate all the way over and have someone in the turret looking down at the surface and stuff with someone driving an SR, uh, SRB around. That would be, like, super yeah, cool. Yeah, that would be cool. But the SRB isn't currently remote, is it? You have to land it and then get in the SRB. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. So, but, no. I mean, that, they, that, would, that would be different to, like, the fighter con, because I, the, I think they're talking about the fighters being remote piloting, right? So everybody always stays on the ship in the same seat. No, I don't. So that would actually break that. 
right? No, no, that's not what I got the out. The fighters of it. are that way. You you actually spawn into the fighter and fly. Okay. Yeah, but in Elite, anytime somebody's in a fighter, it's a remote fighter. That's that's the in game. That's what I understood okay. from well, the article. The, the term fighter con made it sound like remote. <laughs> it is remote, yeah. Because no, no, no. They were talking about fire, if you've got an NPC, you're fighter conning. I see. Okay. Right, but when you spawn in, you're taking you're taking the actual okay. fighter. So yeah, the SRB it, would be the same then, I guess. Huh? I see where you got confused though, because it does sound like the gunner controller is more of a it's providing a firing solution to the turrets as opposed to what we've got in Star Citizen where people are actually climbing into a turret and manning it right directly and then and then in terms of and then you can either be a gunner or you can be a fighter con or however that is termed here and that made it right. that's that's where I got the impression otherwise it's, it's neither here nor there then you then you have to ask questions that if they're actually in the fighter what happens if if I if, if I take a jump and I leave my fighter behind is that person just stranded there, or do they despawn? Do they die instantly? What happens if that person dies in the fighter? Do they respawn back into the ship under the, the, the gunning control, or are they, or they have a separate penalty for that? These are all very good questions. Unfortunately, we have no answers. <laughs> but I, 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 I love the idea here. I mean, this is the same kind of thing that Star Citizen has been talking about at a um, less granular level with regards to uh, their Agent Smith mechanic, right? And this whole hop in, hop out thing, it sounds great. Uh, like a new player into the game without having to like immediately tell them, you know, how to fly the ship and stuff like that. They're like, hey, why don't you just hop in and man my turret for a little while, right? And that's a little bit uh, uh, easier to swallow, I'm sure, for most people without having to fly across the bubble, as it were. Yeah, like I said, I think this is going to make it a lot easier for people to get group play going on a regular basis in Elite. The one concern I have is combining the fact that you have the possibility of opening up your ship and just saying, I want some crew, is anyone looking to jump in? And then the fact that everybody's sharing penalties on the ship. Yeah, that's not clear. They need to clear that up. I would worry that some jerks would jump into other people's ships, do something to get the pilot wanted level, and then dive out, apparently with no penalty, because they'll have the option of just erasing everything that happened in that ship. Yeah. Whereas it seems like the pilot gets stuck with it, even if it was one of his crewmen that started acting like an idiot. Not only that, it looks like people that are on your ship will face a rebuy cost. They don't have very much autonomy, though. I mean, they're just flying the, um, the fighters around the ship or firing the guns. So as long as you don't go someplace they can misbehave. Yeah, that'll definitely be something you have to watch for, though. And if it does end up happening, it'll be interesting to see how the elite devs deal with it. I want to know what's going to happen when the ship gets destroyed and it looks like crew members uh, are going to face a rebuy. That's odd. Like, how would they be responsible for any of your insurance on your ship? Or is it just something for their personal rebuy? We don't really have a personal insurance in-game. Yeah, I was kind of curious about that myself. It'll be interesting to see how they do that. The death penalty in Elite can be steep when you don't have insurance money. And I wonder, you know, I can't imagine someone being able to rebuy their equipment, having that tied to whether or not a crew member wants to pick up part of the tab for the insurance. If crew members are responsible for part of the insurance if a ship gets destroyed, it definitely uh, would require some coaxing to get people to uh, fly in your ship with you then. Yeah, it's so weird when they talk about a rebuy, because what else would they be rebuying? That player, the crew member, hasn't lost their ship. There's nothing to rebuy. Right. So I don't know. And then if you have a um, 
crew member, why would you what why would you get a discount? That doesn't make any sense. Maybe they did say it was an open question because they don't know the way it's worded. Rebuy premiums are reduced for each crew member. The structure of that sentence is very ambiguous because it could be the rebuy of the crew member is reduced, or it could be that the rebuy is reduced dependent on crew member. Neither of them makes very much sense out of context, like you guys were saying, but it's it's definitely not clear from the wording of the announcement. It would make sense to me if they allowed crew members to pitch in optionally, but I can't imagine them forcing it either way. The other thing that strikes me strange with the news that just came out is with the camera system they're implementing. I remember Elite a long time ago, they said they weren't going to implement third-person cameras at all because it would give advantages um, in combat. So even our camera system that we have now where you can get an external view is called the classified camera mode, and it doesn't let you control your ship at all from the outside. So now adding third-person camera views from a turret or adding uh, views where you can see your commanders, that's that goes against what they were saying about uh, that in the beginning. I think that's interesting. Well, it's probably not universal third person. It's probably limited in scope. But also, I mean, you you can make the argument that it's not quite as easy to be game-breaking when you're requiring a second crewman to be there in order to get the view. Plus, you don't know how much view they actually have. I mean, it could be that they're, they may have a better view like above the ship, but they can't see anything below it because of where the turrets are placed or something like that. One other thing, the uh, the turrets, we're giving crew members control of the turrets. That takes a system that was 360-degree arc of fire and would be pretty accurate because it was a turreted system that was automatic. And we're going to put all the turrets in the hand of a crew member who then has to manually target them. It seems like it's going to be less efficient no matter how you slice it. Do we know if it's manually... If it's manually aiming or if it's just target designation? Well, that's the thing. If it's 360... Oh, you know what? That's true. It may just be target designation. In which point that player is just going to kind of point in the general direction of his target. Select a target and then hold a button, I guess. He's not really... That doesn't seem like very engaging gameplay. Depends on how much of a hairball you're in, I guess, right? So, our Elite Dangerous community question is, are you looking forward to crewing on another ship, or do you just want to order minions around? What? Let us know through our usual channels. But now it's time for news we didn't use. The Xenomax antitrust lawsuit against Oculus has ended with Oculus being ordered to pay $500 million to Xenomax for alleged technology theft. Not yet clear whether Xenomax will be able to file an injunction to stop Oculus from further retail sales. Elite's commander creator in 2.3 will also be accompanied by a new in-game camera modes for viewing yourself and your crew. Also in 2.3, delivery mission redirects will become optional. There's been more work on single player and Descent Underground. The script is basically done and they are now working on building the levels needed. They're toying with releasing the first mission as soon as they can to show people the direction they're going and get feedback on the single player system. Colonia Expansion Wave 2 is complete in Elite and five more factions will be granted in the new bubble, including the Mobius Colonial Republic Navy. 
So I'm not a lawyer, and we have one that comes to the podcast occasionally, but he's not here. I have followed the Zenimax thing off and on since it was originally announced, and I found the whole thing pretty weak. I can see where they're coming from in terms of their argument in the lawsuit, but from a moralistic standpoint, I think they're just digging for money here. It doesn't sound like there's really any IP that technically belongs to Zenimax in my mind. Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that if I take your head engineer who signed a non-compete clause and a non-disclosure agreement and I hire him and he brings over all these documents that you're telling me I don't have a leg to stand on? Is that what you're saying? Were there documents though? Yes, there were documents. Yeah, I thought it was all it was it was all headspace trade trade secret stuff, which was kind of bullshit in my opinion. Well, but who are you to determine what's bullshit? <laughs> I mean, on this I haven't seen any of the documents. No, I haven't seen the documents and, uh, either. But I, you know, I, I have read a lot on this, and I, I guess I am uh, could would be considered a technical expert in this field. So I, I, I do think that a lot of what they're probably claiming, and again, I don't have aspect, I don't have access to this in full lawsuit, and I'm not a lawyer, but technically speaking, I'm saying it's bull. <laughs> from my professional opinion. One of the initial complaints about Elite Dangerous, and one that hasn't completely been able to shake, is that the learning curve is more or less running into a wall. That's literally true in some cases, since docking one ship in a space station is not the most intuitive process in Elite. Despite several updates and the introduction of pilot training tutorials, many feel that the game leaves much of its core gameplay obscure. The issue goes beyond an easy-to-learn, difficult-to-master scenario. The argument is that some things are difficult to master and learning them isn't exactly a cakewalk either. However, the common reply is that it's easy to pick this stuff up. You just have to find another person to show you how to do it. Even if you don't want to call Elite an MMO, it's still a large social universe. So interaction with other players is part of the experience. Also, with many looking to modern online games as life simulators, they say that learning from others is the way it should be. Every job has employee handbooks and documentations, except mine, but almost all of them pair a new employee with someone who's been doing the same job so that a new person can get a feel for it. Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate tutorial versus social gameplay introductions. Ken Shadow has new employers mail him reams of instructions for which he studies intently before his first day on any new job. Whereas Ostron tends to walk in and just get employees to show him the ropes cold, hoping to make himself indispensable before HR figures out he doesn't actually work there. So, Ostron, why should games leave some things to be taught by other players? Well, I'm glad you asked. It really was in the introduction. If you're leaving some things to be taught by the other players, it gives an extra mystery for them to discover, and it encourages everyone to interact and be social with one another. If you're playing a multiplayer game, the theory is that at some point you want some interaction from other players. This just encourages it, and you don't make it the core gameplay, but some of the extras and the more advanced techniques and things to accomplish. And now, Ken Shadow, your response? Not all communities develop a friendly, outward uh, persona for handling these things. And in the end, even if it is a simple question, a lot of these times the players just never get their correct answer. 
this kind of ambiguity that they that they have when playing breeds frustration and makes people leave. In, in addition, when you just try and search out on the web for things that may have covered this, even if it's a basic thing, it may have been covered once and long ago, in which the system may have changed since the time that you go to use it. Thank you. Osron, would you care to respond? I think if the system's been changing or if the new way is just to do something or a new way is introduced to do something, the players and other people are much more likely to reveal it than the game developers are. Just look at what's been happening in Elite. The ruins and the Thargoids were all discovered by players before the devs. Now that was intentional, but you also have something like the Neutron Store like shortcut group that was discovered by the players. And Kin Shadow, care to rebut? So, uh, an Ostron, I think in some cases you're right, but I've seen personally that um, just with the Elite's case, uh, many key bindings have changed over the years and people just don't discuss them. You have to either hunt for them in the menu or find a new updated key binding list that's different from the ones published online. In addition, you are, there are also things like mining, where they're eccentric and kind of only been covered when they first came out, and we don't see refreshes on those kinds of things. I think also that developers should also be required to teach the systems themselves just to make sure they're simple enough. I didn't think there was much to debate about, but obviously you've raised up uh, some interesting points. I play, I play a game until I... I butt up against something. I go look and see if there's any information about it. If there's not any information out about it, I try to figure it out myself. So, you know, it doesn't really impact the way I play or it's funny because I uh, like in Star Wars uh, uh, TOR, they've got this thing called the Codex and I never read it and it's detailed. Instead, I I go to the forums. I think that uh, in a game like Elite, if we're talking about a game like Elite, well, I'll even go one better that's really, really complex. A game like Eve, I think it, it requires both. I think it requires not only the hands-on experience of a, of a player-driven social network to help new players through the stuff that isn't really uh, readily apparent, kind of soften the rough edges a little bit, and a good tutorial system and a good knowledge base. So games like those, Elite and Eve and, and Star Citizen, soon to be Star Citizen, need to encompass uh, a good community and uh, good writers. I agree with Ostron. I think it drives uh, social interaction. And as long as it's not core gameplay mechanics that are not presented to the player in a way that's easy to digest without having to go search for information, I think it adds to gameplay. Yeah, I was mostly thinking when I wrote this, I was thinking of what CIG has said that they're aiming to do with the Persistent Universe, where mining, for example, you'll be able to get a tutorial on how to equip a ship, fly out, and carve something out of the rocks, but they said it's going to require experience and at first trial and error in order to figure out the best way to extract the most minerals and I'm guessing that after a while, that's going to become something that you have to learn from another player. Even if it's sort of a step removed and you're doing a Google search for a tutorial video that somebody has put up on YouTube or instructions that somebody wrote up on a forum, it's still learning from another player as opposed to getting the information direct from the game dev. Well, again, my personal opinion is that's fine for tips and tricks. 
It's tr- great for optimizations and tweaks. It's great for min-maxing and power gaming. I don't think it's cool for any basic system. There should be a tutorial in Star Citizen or anywhere that shows you how to do mining. And I know there is one in Elite. I have some problems with the tutorial, but they have a tutorial. I'm with you there. I don't, like, basic gameplay should be taught as part of, like, the game tutorial or the startup, or it, and it should have instructions. I just, I mean, there are some people who say that every single thing you can possibly do in the game should have a commensurate, like, instruction video and manual to go along with it. No, I, I see, I disagree with that statement wholeheartedly, because I think there are some things that you need to discover for yourself. And contrary to popular belief, gaming is a skill, and the skills you develop in the game are unique to that game. So it, it may be mu- muscle memory, but it's still, it's still a skill to be learned. And you can't get that from tutorials. And if you tutorial everything, I think you're not uh, experiencing the game the way you should be. The question really ends up, where do you cut off, right? I mean, I think everybody's, everybody's keen on flight control, <laughs> I think, and, 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 and basic shooting, um, which is covered by um, both of the, the, the gorillas in the room here. But where, where do you end up uh, up cutting that off? I, for instance, um, I think that uh, Elite would have, uh, it would have been really nice for them to have had a tutorial that, or that requires you to pick up cargo. You buy cargo at one system, fly to another system that is quite a few jumps away, and sell that cargo. That would have been a great tutorial for me because that was really perplexing the first time I did it in Elite. I also think that they should have, uh, I don't know if they do now or not, but they should have a docking tutorial, at least show you how to yeah, they have a line do- up. They have a docking tutorial in Elite. They have a okay. mining tutorial. They have a couple of basic uh, fighting tutorials and a basic flight tutorial where you run and uh, do use your cargo scoop. So they have a couple of them that are good on that. My general problem with Elite, though, is it gets it gets you, okay, I can fly, and then you get in the game and you're like, oh, what do I do now, right? There's not any direction at that point. Well, I think it also, they, they can do, they can fill that with um, starter missions too. Right, but they, they, they still need to, they still need to show you how to, they, I don't think there's anything in the tutorial that shows you how to complete a mission. Right, but they can do that with the starter missions. They can tell you, okay, by, uh, we need somebody across here now, line up and, you know, uh, open up the galaxy map. And they can do that with starter missions. That doesn't have really have, which is a combination of a tutorial and a mission. I think that the issue of over tutorializing is, is really where, so, where I think this is all going to, though. I don't think any, any, there's never been a game I've, I've played that has over tutorialized. They, they, you see a lot of that in the first release of the game, and then pe- then developers get lazy and they stop doing it. So I have never seen one that has too many tutorials. Well, as as long as they're optional and not mandatory. Right. So my my particular opinion, and in my in this, you know, and it's always different from the debate. My particular opinion is as many tutorials as possible because they will never do enough because they will always stop once they get to like in game kind of stuff because they're they're concentrating on other things. So it's just as many as they feel like throwing in there I, that I, I would think that would be great. Well, there's also the other thing is, is that the player that comes in, we've got a great tutorial system, jumps into the game and starts spamming in chat. How do I do this? You know what a great answer for that is? Play the damn tutorial, right? And that's right. what people used to do on Star Citizen until this tutorial broke. <laughs> it was an awesome tutorial, but it broke and people could no longer tell the people play the tutorial because it tells you all those ship controls, right? 
It tells you how to get in your ship, how to get out of your ship, how to go up, how to go down, how do you fight, et cetera, et cetera. Like all the problems people have in the PU right now were pretty much solved in that tutorial, but the tutorial's broken. Right. But I get that. But there's still those that don't and ignore those, uh, you know, they, oh, you're not really being helpful and all that. It's like, yeah, I don't think the presence or lack of a tutorial system is going to solve that particular issue. Well, you've heard our thoughts on it. We want to hear yours. So this week's debate question, should games have tutorial systems for every aspect of their gameplay for equal access to all, or does enhanced realism to include some things that have to be taught by experienced masters or learned through trial and error? Drop us an email, a tweet, or comment on our show's post, which you can find on our website and over on our Facebook page. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune to the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say he threatened all of the commenters because he's really busy at home and he actually farms out all of his work for the research badges. But all we know is he's called the Shiv and he helped put together this week's feedback. Sorta. You see, there wasn't a whole lot of feedback this week. Osteron, will you help me with the calculations here? The amount of feedback we got was minus 273.15 degrees Celsius, which is... Absolute zero. No, hang on. We got one from Sean Newboy who says, love the show, everyone. So make that minus 272.15 degrees. Uh, absolute one? Mm-hmm. Well, on the bright side, there were no new Patreons, but Dan Stewart increased his pledge. Woohoo! Go Dan! It's a new year, so we're changing things up a bit. No longer will you be limited to one prompt for your responses. You can help us make this feedback segment even better by giving us some of your thoughts on the following. Do you like what you've heard of Star Citizen's music, or were you hoping for a different sound? Are you looking forward to crewing another ship in Elite Dangerous, or do you just want to order minions around? And this week's debate question, should games have tutorial systems for every aspect of their gameplay for equal access to all, or does it enhance realism to include some things that have been taught by experienced masters or earned through trial and error? You've heard our thoughts, so we want to hear yours. Drop us an email, a tweet, or a comment on our show post, which you can find all on our website and over on our Facebook page. So, how was the show? Did we introduce everything in just the right way? Or did you have to rely on your friends to know what the f*** is going on? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on the show's post over at GuardFrequency.com. Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak. And leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind, please. And that brings us to the end of episode 154 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 155 on February 14th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not really doing anything on Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 10 p.m. Central, which is Saturday at 9.41 p.m. LTST. If you're wondering 
where LTST is, it's local true solar time and it's one of the time zones on Mars where the Spirit Rover currently is. If the Spirit Rover is listening, I'm, I'm good. I wonder if he likes it. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just a buck twenty-five a week, you can get access to the raw recordings of our show, some guard frequency goodies, and an invitation to our private elite dangerous flight group. Hoorah! We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope that you'll consider making us a regular contribution because the more support we can get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call signs section for details on how you can play with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They'll cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pentad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we will especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Contact 330, counter 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the curve. On the flight deck, we see what news from your favorite space limbs has space limbs. Um, <laughs> no, that's probably a cigarette brand in the far flung future. <laughs> Snap into your space limb. On the flight deck, we see what news from your favorite space limbs has land. <clears throat> Why can't I talk? On the flight deck, we see what news from your favorite spi- spice sims. <laughs> this is just not. Uh, this is going to be such a great episode. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> you can get in touch with us and all our music usual <clears throat> musical. You can get in touch with all the in a, <clears throat> you can get in touch with us on our you can get in touch with us on all our music I said musical again, didn't I? <clears throat> okay. This is gonna be one of those things. Gentlemen, your mission there's an intro section. Oh. Okay. There is? Oh, yes, there is. Instead, they have a large number of shortical music. Shortical. Interestingly, a crew member leaving a ship will have an option of purging their criminal record at the cost of losing all accumulated reward. <laughs> Which is Saturday at 9.41 p.m. LTST. If you're wondering what LTST is, local true sellers. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Drop us an evil. Drop us an evil. <laughs> Drop us an email. To squawk <laughs> at guardfrequency.com. Shorticle's a great word. <laughs>